and welcome to episode 85 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. It's Richard here once again, and I'm delighted to be joined by a special guest to discuss with me uh, the topic of mindfulness. It's Sarah Strohmeyer, and she's a researcher in the area, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about the evidence around mindfulness, what it's good for, how it works, and if you're interested, some gentle baby steps into the world of mindfulness practice. A couple of bits of news, though, before we dive into the interview. First of all, Sarah is going to be joining us for a live Q&A session at our next online meetup as part of the Work Life Psych community. Uh, a free event, April 28th is the date for your diary. But in order to join, you need to be a member of the Work Life Psych community, which you can find and join at www.worklifepsych.club. And that will also give you access to all of our other uh, monthly online meetups, the discussions, the activities, everything else that we're doing there. If it's the first you've heard of it, it's our online community for everyone who's interested in their own development. All of the topics we discuss on the podcast uh, are there and uh, the community is growing every week. And of course, the second thing to tell you about is that next episode sees the return of Pilar. Uh, I, I've had a few messages asking, uh, where is she? Um, so I really want to reassure listeners that uh, Pilar is going to return. We're going to talk about the nature of habits, um, how to cultivate them, uh, how to get the best from habits, uh, because that's a, a core element of being more intentional and making personal change. So anyway, let's move on. A big thank you to Sarah for her time. She's also written a, a post for the blog, which I'll link to in the show notes, all about some of the myths associated with mindfulness. But uh, whether you think it's a universally great thing or you're a deep cynic when it comes to mindfulness, I hope you find something useful in this episode. And as ever, thank you for listening. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really good of you to to give up your time to join me on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me. No, not a problem. It's always good to have uh, new perspectives, fresh voices, and on top of all of that, expertise. Uh, come and join us on My Pocket Psych. For the listeners, would you mind introducing yourself briefly? Tell us a little bit about what you do. Of course, yes. I'm uh, Sarah. I'm a uh, PhD psychology researcher, so I'm just doing my PhD in psychology on the topic of mindfulness. I also work for as a research associate for a university um, department on applied psychology. Great. And um, what would a, a typical project look like for you? Um, I think so. So it depends on the the project and the the population. But I do a lot of uh, sort of research, academic research, a lot of the time, and analysis of data that then helps the stakeholders, clients, um, to make decisions. And um, yeah, so so also writing up academic publications on on certain research topics, and um, yeah, getting that ready for for publication. So it sounds like a real practical emphasis in the work that you do yes definitely yeah yeah and that, that's great to hear it the word mindfulness doesn't often um have that connotation so i'm really looking forward to getting into a practical uh practically focused conversation with you today um 
why do you have a, a particular interest in mindfulness? Um, that's that's a really good question. I think so. Um, I first, I think I've always found it quite interesting to know about mindfulness and and sort of present moment experiences, especially at the moment where our lives are so busy. You know, we're always doing things. We're always expected to do things. You know, we've got online presence as well as offline presences, um, and. So yeah, I think I think as a, a really interest to just find out more about it. I think originally before I started the PhD, and also that it's something that's quite accessible and something everyone can do without needing any special e- equipment, you know. So I think that's a mm-hmm. really, really important one that really interested me. Um, and of course, we can have an interest in something, but then it's a big leap to go and undertake a PhD. Yes. So what was what was it that prompted you to do that? So that's. Um, that was mainly because I did. So at my workplace, I um, participated in a mindfulness course, which was an eight-week course um, of, of like two-hour weekly sessions and then also um, up to an hour of daily home practices. So quite an intense course over wow. – over, yeah, it was, it was quite an intense course um, over eight weeks. And because I'm working and doing the PhD as well, um, that that was quite intense. Um, I then also did an online mindfulness course just because I was really interested in mindfulness and learning more about it. Um, and this was a briefer course because I think it was about three weeks. Um, I had briefer practices. It was shorter classes um, and, you know, shorter mindfulness practices to complete outside of classes. Um, so that really interested me in in thinking, you know, what's the difference? You know, which one is more helpful? Do you need to do this really intense one with the you know, really long practices, or is it helpful to also do a a shorter one, you know, um, or briefer practices online? Can you do it online and still have the same benefits? Um, So yeah, that's why I started the PhD on mindfulness. They're big questions, aren't they? And it, it, it maybe runs contrary to what lots of people think mindfulness is when they have that sort of mental image of someone practicing mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, that's one of the biggest mis- misunderstandings of mindfulness that you have to sit for hours and do a practice, you know, that you have to spend a lot of time doing it, that you have to, um, you know, ha- have done it before, really, or that you need to know a lot about the background of mindfulness, that you need to know where it comes from, um, you know. So I think that is quite um limiting people to even start mindfulness you know because of these these incorrect assumptions that you need to have done it before that it's only helpful for people for certain people um as well so i think that's really helpful to to just not look at it like that i agree 100 percent, and it's something i try and cover off uh, no it's something i do cover off every time i speak about mindfulness with groups um it's it's part of some of the training courses that i run and trying to um uh, you know, bust some of the myths or misunderstandings, it, it can be a little bit time consuming because there are some quite strong views uh, mm. about mindfulness, both positive and negative. And I'm sure you've encountered some of those as well. Yes, definitely. So one of the the myths, as, as um, I said before, is, is the whole thing about having to do these long practices, having to spend so much time to to do it for it to be helpful, which can stop people from even starting. And then that's you know, counterproductive because then people don't even start the mindfulness um, practice. Um, yeah, so I think, and also what you said about it being a a sort of hype term at the moment. You know, like loads of people have heard of mindfulness before. That it's that not necessarily helpful as well because it it can 
it cannot be helpful for people as well. Um, especially these longer practices that can be quite difficult for people to do. Mm, I'd like to come back to that point a, a little bit later, but it's something that you and I have discussed as well, that mm. it's really important, and I, I'm sure our listeners are aware, but it's really important that we uh, don't present mindfulness as some kind of panacea. Um, it's one of the frustrations I encounter working in the uh, workplace well-being space that mindfulness is is emphasized a lot of t- uh, in a lot of contexts as you know a key plank of well-being in the workplace when mm. it's maybe at the cost of good job design um effective management skills and managing change well all those sort of building blocks yes. so while we'll discuss this as a really helpful practice it is a, not for everyone, and B, not instead of getting the essentials of work right. Absolutely. And I think that's the whole thing you said about it not being a panacea. You can't just fix mindfulness. You know, mindfulness can't fix everything. So you can, can't have a toxic work environment and then say, oh, just do mindfulness and it solves all your problems. That's not it. You know, that's not um, how, how you can reap the benefits from it. No. And, and you know, b- both potentially making things worse uh, – but at, at the very least, adding to a level of cynicism in the yep. workplace where people think, well, that's fine, but I'm so overworked, I don't even have time to go to the mindfulness class. So it has its place. Um, I like to describe it as a tool in the toolkit, but it can't be the only one. Um, but let's talk about this tool um, today in, in a little bit more detail. Now, I, I'm going to link to your online profile in the show notes um, so people can find out a little bit more about you. But I'd love to know a little bit more about your research and, and what it has involved so far. Yes, definitely. So um, like I mentioned, so because I found it very difficult um, or or interesting to to look into which which amount of mindfulness help, is helpful, you know, what, how much do you need to do for it to be helpful? Because there wasn't really anything... Um, there in academic research so there is um, you know there, there are research studies that have online programs brief programs and look into the effectiveness of them and then there's research into you know you know high level research that f- finds you know longer programs really helpful as well but there wasn't really research comparing all of those together and see like you know look at this what is the best the best one out of those mm-hmm. um and what i then did is a review of all of these different what i call doses of mindfulness so amount of mindfulness program amount of mindfulness practice length amount of home practice things like that and what i found um which was surprising to find is that both the really intense longer mindfulness programs uh, which have a lot of research evidence behind them are really really helpful for people but also these these shorter ones you know these online ones these these brief five to 10 minute practices um, are really helpful for people. Um, And yeah, so that's, that's an interesting finding, I think, because you don't have to spend a lot of time um, to, to practice mindfulness. You can, if you want, and that's really beneficial and really helpful for you, but also, you know, the brief practices are also helpful. You don't need to attend long programs for it to be helpful. That's super interesting, and I think mm-hmm. it, it might run contrary to what a lot of people think yep. about mindfulness um, and those barriers. Like, I haven't got time to sit in the corner mm-hmm. for 30 minutes or 60 minutes at a time, or even when they start to experiment with it, that, oh, I couldn't do this for more than 30 seconds. I can't imagine myself doing 30 minutes, so I'll stop. So it's really yeah. useful to hear that the little 
and often rather than the big big you know taking a, an hour a day mindfulness practice can can be beneficial as well yeah absolutely and i think that's the whole thing about it. if you ask someone to practice mindfulness for an hour every day it can feel a lot like work so you're not doing it because you you're welcoming it you you like to do it it helps you but then it can feel a lot like work especially when you first start out um, so I often uh, draw a parallel to running, you know, someone who wants to go running um, for their physical health, mental health as well. So you do not need to run a, a marathon, especially on the very first day that you put on your running <laughs> shoes, the first time you go outside, you know, you don't need to be an Olympic runner to see the benefits of running. You can work towards that if that's what you want to do. But even if you run one one to five kilometers and, and not more and stay there, then that's fine. And that's a really, really helpful. You know, you don't need to do these long marathons in order to find it helpful. It's a really good point. And, and you've touched on something else there as well, which is your reason for doing it or your yeah. intention for doing it is kind of important. And if it's to be compliant because someone has told you on a training course, you're not necessarily going to have a positive experience, are you? Yeah, definitely. And that is the whole thing where it's 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 stopping people from reaping the benefits. And even in longer mindfulness programs, that's also the case in, in shorter ones. But a lot of the time, there's a lot of dropout from longer programs as well, or where people after the end of the programs don't carry on with mindfulness, you know, so they, they sort of stop at the end of the programs and just never pick it back up again. Whereas maybe in the briefer programs, you know, where five to 10 minutes, you can do five to 10 minutes, even in busy lives, you can you can fit that in. Whereas an hour is quite hard to fit in. If you're working, if you've got responsibilities, you know, that that's much harder to fit in. And mentally, that can seem like a big responsibility. Yeah. I need to find an hour each day to, to get some peace and quiet, first of all, um, and to just do this one thing. Whereas uh, what I try and encourage my clients to do is find those moments throughout the day where it's a natural, uh, if you like, pause or a natural comma between activities where they could do something in a mindful way. So at yeah. the end of a call or exactly. just before starting a call or when sitting down at their computer, but before they start typing or getting stuck into their inbox, these moments present themselves as being an opportunity rather than a must-have when it comes to mindful focus. Especially, yeah, absolutely. There's also things, there's been more research now with um, things like informal or active mindfulness. Um, so that's things like um, people mindfully washing dishes or mindfully brushing teeth or mindfully walking from meeting to meeting, uh, which just means you're paying attention to what you're doing without thinking of the next thing or thinking about the meeting you just had. Um, so just just actively be mindful in, in the moment. That has been found really, really helpful as well for your well-being and, and productivity as well to just stop and do something mindfully. That's a really um, interesting point because, um, again, you know, running contrary to, to people's uh, preconceptions about mindfulness on the one hand that we're talking about brief experiences, but also the anticipated benefits. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've had these conversations as well, but I know a lot of people automatically associate mindfulness with relaxation. Mm. And if they don't see that as being relevant to them or I haven't got time for that or it's not a good time to be relaxed, I can't be relaxed, then they could miss out. But there's many, many ways we can um, attain these benefits and they can manifest in different ways. It contributes to well-being, but also that bit about productivity. Mm -hmm. You know, your focus can improve when you develop these skills too, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. So with well-being is probably the most researched one um, in, in general in mindfulness, just because it's been found so, so helpful, not only for clinical populations with things like depression, anxiety, things like that, but also just in the in the general population, you know, um, everyone has everyday worries, especially more, more so now with the pandemic and lockdowns going on, um, or, or just people having a bad day as well, um, that mindfulness can be really helpful with. Um, but also productivity, like you say. So it, it's been found really helpful for things like paying attention uh, to what is going on at the moment and also to spend um, time to focus on the one thing at a time. So there's been research even in cognitive or neuropsychology where um, it's helped with memory performance. And that's something that everyone, you know, would, would be helpful for everyone um, mm. to, to have as well. It's a, it's a very good point. And it's something that I've been... Um, writing about and talking about quite a bit over the last couple of years, even before this new phase of our lives kicked in, mm. which was about doing things with intention and uh, doing one thing at a time to sort of slow the pace, but do things with, with, uh, yeah, with, with intention. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, you know, mindfulness really plays into that. If we're able to develop this mindful focus, then we can spot that, that we're automatically reaching for our mobile phone to, look at our email late at night or that we're automatically going to the fridge or we're automatically um, turning on the TV when maybe those run contrary to what we could be doing or what we want to be doing. So it, it allows us to notice, you know, which is core to all of this, yeah. rather than be in automatic pilot mode. Absolutely. And that's where they... Um so definitions around mindfulness come from as well. So it's the the whole thing about paying attention to the present moment that you so that you're in right now, like you said, what you're doing right now, but do this sort of on purpose. So you like doing this with an intention. Um, and then the the other thing as well is to do it without without judgment. So there's a lot of, you know, people thinking in mindfulness, you know, am I doing this right? Should I not be thinking? Mm. Should I be thinking? You know, there's no um judgment. So that from that, from that sense it's not like a complicated thing to be doing it's just paying attention you know making a conscious decision to think okay this is my intention to pay attention um on my my present moment um and not judge myself whether I'm doing I, it right. it, it's a really common um Reaction I'm hearing from you there, absolutely. I, I include mindfulness exercises on my psychological flexibility program and you know, the I'm not good at this response or I don't think I did it well or I'm not good at mindfulness or my mind is too busy for me to be mindful mm. because I could see all these thoughts. Like, well, if you notice what's going on inside, you're being mindful. You know, it's, it, it's when we pay attention to it that we notice what a busy mind we have. And that's a great step rather than flicking a switch and somehow being Zen-like instantly. That That's not a realistic proposition for anyone, really. Yeah. And that's also not what mindfulness is. That's the whole, it's the being mindful, not 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 thinking about anything, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, especially in 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 human minds, you know, um, everyone's minds wander and that depends depends on the day you're having as well so there, there might be more and less um of mind wandering there but they, that's not a bad thing that's just a normal human condition you know thinking about things making shopping lists what whatever you know um is going on but also that that's completely normal and even very experienced mindfulness practitioners still have that you know it's not like you know they're, they're like superhuman or anything like that so that's just very normal um 
to just notice when your mind's wandering and try and bring it back to the present moment, but not not judge yourself for doing that because that's very normal, you know? Mm. The, the judging is is very typical, isn't it? And our minds judge mm. constantly yeah. and compare and we think other people are better at it than we are um, and we're not doing it well enough. And again, yeah. I'd underline if you're taking a few moments to to sit quietly and be, attempt to be mindful, then gold star, you're doing, you're doing a great job. Mm, definitely, definitely. And that's the whole accessibility thing as well. So, you know, that taking the time to do mindfulness, even if it's five minutes, that is helpful, you know, um, and that you're, you're doing it to help yourself, not to do, you know, reach, reach some sort of state or reach, you know, be the best one at mindfulness or something like that. It's not, it's not meant to be like a competition. It's just something for you that, that really helps you. I think that's really important, isn't it? Because we are um, prone to compare uh, ourselves with other people's performance or looks or homes or whatever it might be. And this this could be a, another trap we fall into that they're better than I am or I'm not getting as good at it as I would like. Um, and it's not like a goal, is it? We don't yeah. tick the box and say, oh, that's enough mindfulness now. I have yeah. been mindful enough in my life or that's enough mindfulness for this week. I know I've, I've met my quota. It's much more ephemeral than that. Yeah, and it should be something that helps you, not something that you have to take off as, as having done every day. Mm. You know, it's not meant to be homework. It's meant to be something that you come to to help you. So you've obviously um, had a really big examination of the mindfulness literature. Is there anything that's come out of that review of the literature that has particularly surprised you? Um, yes, I think surprised um, but also in a in a good way, surprised, not negatively um, mm. surprised, is the fact that that these brief ones are helpful. I think that's the the main important uh, thing that that I've I found from my research. Um, so that you can do five minutes of mindfulness, and that's helpful, you know. And that that's something that someone who comes comes new into mindfulness can do as well. So that's um, I think the the most helpful thing um coming out of the research so that is yeah that that even brief mindfulness practices are really really helpful it's an interesting one isn't it because we often think the more we do of something the better it will be and of course coming back to your running example that of course you could run too much and injure yourself and uh, it might take a while to show up or it might be instant that you do too much of it and it's not great so we do need to think about the dose as you say we yeah. do need to ask these questions to see what works and um, to what extent it works and how much could be optimal and of course we can each do our own little experiments and see when do I feel the benefits when does it feel good for me rather than what's the menu or what's the checklist I need to follow. Exactly. And you're also more, less likely, you know, it's talking about the running thing again, if you um, you run a marathon, say, the first time you put on your shoes, you're, and, you know, you're not going to have the best experience because you're not ready for it. You're not having built up, you know, your running um, abilities. And then you're less likely to go back to it at all, not even for a 5K run, a 1K run. Um mm. And that's really, really the thing that, you know, little, little mindfulness practice are helpful. And you don't need to do this whole long practice. That doesn't even have to be your aim. It's just what helps, what helps you really. 
So for, for listeners who are particularly interested in this, I know I'm going to be able to share a couple of links to papers that you've published on mindfulness, one on dose and one on the different um, practice lengths. And people who are particularly interested in the evidence side of things will be able to have a look at those online, which is really helpful because it's it's mm. great to, if you're interested, take the time and sit down and look at this in a little bit more detail. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd like to turn now, if we can, to have a look at how we might apply this stuff, you know, um, how if listeners are interested, maybe they've never tried this before, a little bit of a discussion about how they might take some steps in in that direction. We, we, we spoke about maybe misconceptions or the mental image someone might have about what mindfulness looks like. So mm-hmm. could you maybe outline some of the different ways that people could practice this mindfulness? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things I um, have encountered through the PhD, and that's that's quite helpful about people maybe first learning about mindfulness, um, or just a really good prerequisite, is that um, mindfulness is often talked about like a, a mindfulness intervention or a mindfulness treatment or a mindfulness therapy, which kind of makes it sound like you can only um, practice mindfulness if uh, you are unwell or you need you need to be treated or you need to go to therapy or you need to be intervened in some way mm. um which is quite um sort of limiting because people might think oh i don't need any of treatment or therapy so that might even stop people from from starting with mindfulness um so i generally refer to mindfulness as as programs or, or courses rather than interventions or therapies um, and things like that um but they are different ones available so for someone who wants to maybe learn a bit about mindfulness first um they are longer face-to-face mindfulness courses that they can do obviously they won't be face-to-face at the moment um but there's also very good online courses they can do on on um online platforms such as future learn where they can learn about mindfulness a bit about the background of mindfulness uh, or generally understanding the definitions of mindfulness but then also have some practices that they can download as well and so we don't have to have hours per day we don't have to have days out of our month dedicated to learning it when you mention this to people that you meet when you mention mindfulness what's the way that you describe it to make it really accessible to people that's a great question so normally um what i would say is is um you know, just saying mindfulness is focusing on the present moment with the right intention, with the right attitude, um, and not judging yourself for doing it wrong or right. So it's about focusing on um, the present moment. Oftentimes this is used with, with you know, focusing on the breath, which nearly everyone has a breath, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. you know, their own breath to, to focus in, and just focusing on um inhales and exhales so there's a lot of guided practices they can they can do with that that's probably the best place to start um and just really paying attention to to what you notice as well um and yeah and do this you know do this on on purpose you decide to pay attention on your breath on the present moment um for now and then just see see how you're feeling that's very simple isn't it and yet if we just said that, um, uh, if we just talked about mindfulness without talking about what that is, then everyone listening to this could have a very different takeaway from it. Whereas yeah. just some focused, mindful breathing is mindfulness. 
Yeah. Yeah. Simple. That's yeah. the yeah. that's the whole thing about accessibility. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't need, you know, a special cushion or you don't need the to have the the mindfulness bells with you or, or anything like that. It's not meant to be something that's really, really complicated that only some people can do. That's the the most important thing, I think, that it's it's something everyone can do and everyone can one can have benefits from. Um, you know, you don't need to be someone who can who can, you know sit for hours or can you know sit comfortably without without any pain or anything like that and you you've touched on something that we've we've talked about before which is the popularity of this is a bit of a double-edged sword isn't it yes. because if you just simply do a, a an online search around mindfulness you'll see all the equipment that people say you need to buy in order to do it yeah. the 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 clothing the special mindfulness yeah. slippers whatever it is and and you'll also see mindfulness being offered up as um a cure or uh, support for lots of things where it might not necessarily be the case and often presented in quite a rigid way. Like, this is the only way to do it. Um, and yet you, you've made the case there for some simple mindful breathing, sitting still, noticing you're doing it and you don't need a, a license. You don't need a certificate. You don't need special uh, mindfulness pants. Um, and, and yet all of these can act as barriers, right? Absolutely. Yes. Um, and also that it's the whole hype around mindfulness. So there, from a research perspective, there's been so many studies around mindfulness for different populations, for different things, different types of practices. Um, and also outside of academia, there's been a lot of newspaper articles, tabloid articles, you know, coming up with mindfulness. Um, you know, there's loads of things on social media about what mindfulness is. And I think sometimes there can be a bit of an overkill or of a a misunderstanding of what what it is that mindfulness is um like we we said beforehand it's not a panacea um you know that you just need to practice mindfulness and ev everything will be fine in your life you know that's that's Absolutely. not what it is there's a few things i've heard over the last um couple of months about this listening to conversations on podcasts and in print media about mindfulness it's two two examples mindfulness being offered as a yeah, a cure-all for whatever's bothering people under lockdown. And secondly, um, for, for a whole range of mental health conditions, um, but also running being treated in the same way. And, and someone talking about how their depression was not made any better by people suggesting they go for a run, you know, yeah. that that's not going to help necessarily. And it, well, it's not going to help everyone, no more than mindful breathing will help everyone. And of course, you know, if someone has concerns about their well-being, that you know, mindfulness isn't possibly the first place to go. It might be something that helps in the future, but talking to a professional would be the first thing to do and not, not necessarily take their advice from something they stumble upon online. Yeah. I mean, mindfulness, that, that's definitely, definitely true. Um, mindfulness is, in a sense, good for things like depression, not saying that it would cure it com completely. You know, there's there's other things as well. Um, mindfulness is, in a sense, good good for depression because um, people who have depression or anxiety or worry, like we all have at the moment, um, tend to overthink things and you know over over exaggerate things in their in their mind. You know, will never come out of lockdown. Things like that. Um, mm -hmm. But mindfulness is really helpful to just just sit and and hear those thoughts without thinking, "Oh, that is the truth." You know, that is how it is. Will never come out. You just um, get better at acknowledging things for what they are um, so that they're just thoughts they're not reality um, and then you can sort of have that to help you 
deal with things. It doesn't mean that then you don't need to deal with things at all, um, but then you're better able to, you know, move move forward with things and that's the same with people um you know who are really stressed at work um you know healthcare workers especially or teachers things like that um mm. or, or even generally people who, who are just you know working from home a lot have lots of work on are uncertain about the future things like that that mindfulness can really help with sort of hang on you know is this what is actually happening or am i you know um catastrophizing this Mm. Yeah, completely and we, we, we've had good research since the 70s for mindfulness-based stress reduction programs you know and, and they have been very effective mm. I suppose um, I'm critiquing the just do a bit of mindfulness approach you know mindfulness yeah. will help with that regardless because a lot of um, the conditions that people will experience are complex in origin and mindfulness isn't going to help with poverty mindfulness isn't going to help with social exclusion or uh, racism or uh, sexism or any of that stuff and so tool in the toolkit great uh but there's some structural stuff that can contribute to these challenges that um it doesn't really scratch and so i suppose when talking about it we need to be more specific um as to how these things help and you've described that seeing thoughts as thoughts rather than literal truths or um, instructions and listeners who've been listening for for a while will know that you know that's something we've talked about before in terms of um, the diffusion techniques as part of psychological flexibility, seeing mm-hmm. thoughts for what they are, that's a skill and it takes practice, but it's eminently doable with that bit of practice. And an almost prerequisite is the mindful focus. Can I bring my attention inwards? Can I notice what's happening inside? And can I decide what I want to do? Um, not because I've had the thought, but because it's what I want to do. You know, make that distinction. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all it's all um, like you said, tools in the um, in your toolbox. Uh, you know, you, it doesn't have to cure everything, but it can help you deal with other things. So it can help you then be able to better deal with your stresses, deal with your uh, well being. You know, um, just becoming better at at other things rather than it being you know like a cure everything. Yeah. 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 So, and as most things are, right? That you know, there's there's no there's no silver bullet for for all of the distress we might experience in our lives, um, whether we're in a pandemic or not. But yeah. I suppose we're walking that line of demonstrating there's good evidence and it can help us across a range of different topics. And at the same time, like everything else, it's not good for everything or for everyone. Um, but unlike lots of other things it can be started in a very simple way it could be started by anyone listening to this just taking a few mindful breaths and um, that could be their practice and as you say for other people they will have the extended practices and that's great for them so there's a huge flexibility within it isn't there absolutely and there's even the um, flexibility on how you do it or which practice you find most helpful so we talked a bit about the mindfulness breath you know which is very simple in a way because everyone has a breath you know can do that um but there's other things as well some the mindful walking or something like that so i had a participant in my study who wasn't able to sit still she found that really really hard um just just because um she always finds that hard not not anything to do with mindfulness but for her the mindful walking was much easier so so doing something else while being mindful so things like that are really helpful as well see what fits for you 
Yeah, some great examples you shared earlier, right? I'll, I'll, I'll underline them, you know, brushing your teeth mindfully, doing chores at home mindfully. It, it can be very useful for, for people who label themselves as busy to yeah. say, well, you're going to do this anyway. You're going to iron these shirts anyway. Exactly. Why not do that in a focused, mindful way to see what the experience is like rather than rush through it while trying to do something else, which is what we tend to do, right? We, we, mm. we, we go through activities that we do frequently um, at speed and possibly because they're automatic, we'll try and do something else at the same time, whether it's watch TV or solve a problem in our minds or plan our day. Yeah. It's a very different experience to, for example, brush your teeth mindfully. Yeah. Exactly. And in, in our busy lives, you know, there's so much to do, so many distractions. You've got your phone on you all the time that you can, you know, check your social media, check your emails, check check things, look things up all the time. So sometimes it's really helpful to just stop doing that. So, Sarah, in advance of our conversation, I reached out to the members of worklifepsych.club, which is our um online community uh, to see if they had any questions for you. So what would the, the most popular thing I've heard in advance of this conversation has been, there's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of advertised ways people um, can learn. So how would you choose a good quality uh, mindfulness course, first of all? So you might see an ad, come and learn mindfulness with us. How would you know if it's a good course? That's a um, good question. So um, there's different different courses offered and for different people. So you've got things like uh, longer face-to-face mindfulness courses in um, in the UK. There's things like the Mindfulness Network. So if you Google that, they're all approved mindfulness teachers um, on there for, for the longer face-to-face courses. Um, so that's courses um, like mindfulness-based st- stress reduction or mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, uh, they're called. Uh, and they're certainly good courses to attend, but they're their longer, more intense ones. So that would just depend on on what what is helpful. Um, there's also really good online courses, especially now they're probably the best ones to go for. Um, for instance, there's one on the Future Learn platform. So some people might not have heard of that one. This is a, a, an online platform where universities around the world have put together uh, online um, courses and they're based on research and they're more trustworthy in a way because they are uh, provided by university researchers. So they're not by just anyone. Um, they're, you know, they're all evidence-based, all provided by university researchers. And they're free as well. Um, well, that's important. Helpful. That's important, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of good ones from um, just off the top of my head from Monash University in Australia. They have some really good ones on there and they're, you know, qualified mindfulness courses. Um, now, that's a, a shorter course you know, on an online platform that you can do whenever it's helpful for you. That's fantastic. That online component really frees it up because we don't have to go to a physical space. We don't have to get it in our our schedule. Um, So that gives people an an awful lot of flexibility. A follow-up question, if I may, which is about the fact that as soon as you pick up a mobile device and you have a look at the app store, you see a lot of apps saying that they are mindfulness apps or uh, making claims. So what do you think about the the app uh, selection out there? Do, do they work? Yes, definitely. So there's um, there's some that work better than others, or some are more research evidence based than others. And I would definitely recommend to go for some that have been um, evidence based, uh, just because then you know you know that they're, they're doing it properly rather than just doing something that might not be um, 
correct uh, as well. Uh, so there are um, um, apps like like Headspace, for instance, mm-hmm. or um, Insight Timer, which is really helpful. Um, you know, there's there's another app called Calm App, and they have different sort of um, things they provide. Um, it also comes comes to your personal preference on on who you would like. So, for instance, things like what kind of accent you would like to listen to that could be something, mm-hmm. or um, what kind of tone of voice you would like. Um, on what kind of practice. So they generally apps offer different types of practice. So on the one side, you've got app, um, mindfulness practices by length. So they could be one minute long, five minutes long, 10 minutes long, longer, um, or they are mindfulness practices for uh, specific needs. So they're things like uh, for anxieties, uh, for worries, um, things to just um, help with productivity, with concentration, um, things like that. And they will vary on on their um you know, length of time. But what I would suggest to do is is perhaps just um, Google the main sort of mindfulness app that apps that are evidence based and just have a look at those. There's been a lot of research with different um, providers of these apps. So, for instance, with the Headspace apps, there's been a lot of scientific research and, and programs and projects that people have done with that app, uh, where it's it's been found really helpful for people. Super. I can link to those that you've mentioned um, in the show notes so people can check them out for themselves. It's not a, a recommendation, but a, a provision to make it yeah. easier for you to find them. But I, I do like the flexibility that comes with those apps. And I do like the accessibility as in mm. it could be just a minute that you need. It could be the focus on your topic or your specific need. It, and it could be uh, as in calm. I know um, it, it could be just I need a bit of relaxation and I need to be uh, talked through this relaxation exercise with headspace. It could be, I really want to work on how I manage stress and I'm going to follow a program of different uh, sessions um, and I'll set the length to suit me. And so the barriers that we talked about earlier, they sort of fade away in a sense. I don't have to go Mm. to a room. I don't need any equipment bar a smartphone. Um, And uh, it's the irony, isn't it? That the, the thing that could be most likely to distract us could also be the source of some of these great skills. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a different, de- definite uh, pro of these, these apps and online courses is the whole accessibility thing. Just getting people to do more because not, not everyone or only a, a select few people can, can join, you know, face to face formal mindfulness practices, which are in a specific location. They need to travel to, you know, outside of a pandemic they would need to travel to um spend two hours there to two to three hours there then travel back then having to do long practices things like that that can be really really helpful for some but it can also stop the whole accessibility for others definitely and that's why apps and online courses are really helpful Fantastic. Sarah, we'll we'll draw to a close there. Thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, I know that listeners may well have questions, so I'd invite them to, to get in touch with us via um, Twitter, at uh, yep. mypocketpsych, and we can address them or send us something longer via the contact form, worklifepsych.com slash contact. Um, and of course, I'm sure you'd be open to, to answering those questions. If you can, if people are interested, yes. it will be always great to hear from our listeners. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Feel free to, um, you know, drop me a message on, on Twitter as well. I'm on there at Sarah Stromeyer. If you want to get in contact, love chatting about mindfulness. So any questions or thoughts you have, um, I really appreciate it as well. It'd be really interesting to hear what you think. 
Fantastic. I'll include your your uh, Twitter link in the show notes as well. So, Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com/contact. Thanks for listening.